2: Hello, hockey fans, and welcome. Welcome to to blog Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Hello, hockey fans, and welcome once again to another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We've got a big show on tap for everybody today. We're going to have Russ Cohen in to preview the Metropolitan Division of the National Hockey League. We're going to go down the Vegas lane with our Vegas Hockey Podcast insider, Dana Lane, uh, discuss the latest news out of the UNLV Rebels and the Golden Knights camp, and then in a special overtime segment. We're going to have Mark Regmel in to discuss his latest venture into cinematic hockey with the California Golden Seals story, and we'll talk about the unique history that that team has in the National Hockey League. So stay tuned. It's going to be a great show. Hello, hockey fans, and welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner, along with Chris Lisa. We are now going to be affiliated with the inaugural launch of the Hockey Writers podcast page over at thehockeywriters.com. We're talking with JD Styles from Cali Sports News reporting live from the Stanley Cup Finals. And today we're being joined by the first general manager in Las Vegas franchise history, George McPhee. With Pat Quinn.
3: You know, he might be the finest
2: man I've ever met in my life. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're talking with Clay Malarczyk. There's
4: something about George McSee that everybody says is a good
2: pick. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast, and we're talking with Dana Lane, play-by-play voice of the MLB Rebel Hockey Team and owner of Dana Lane Sports. Joining us now is Matt Pryor of thehockeywriters.com. He's coming to us from the Dallas Stars training camp. All right, hockey fans, welcome once again to another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. As always, on Mark Warner along with Chris. Lisa, and we have a a packed show today. We're going to look at the Metropolitan Division in high detail with our special guest today. Russ Cohen of Sportsology.com joins us. He's the author of many sports books. He's radio host on NHL Network and recently to the TSN Radio family. Uh, He's been kind enough to put our show up on his page this year, and we really appreciate that uh gentlemen chris is with us russ is with us good day to you both same year same to both of you so uh let's jump right into it um i know we're on a time constraint this morning with you sir and we appreciate your time um if we're in the metropolitan division i guess we're going to go ahead and start with the stanley cup champion pittsburgh penguins Obviously, nothing short of the Stanley Cup is is acceptable for Pittsburgh and their fan base. Um, quite a quite a bit of roster turnover there. Um, let's uh, talk about some of the subtractions on this team. Notably, uh, Mark Andre Fleury is is here in Vegas. Uh, Nick Bonino, Trevor Daly, Ron Hainsey, Chris Connett, Matt Cullen a, a big part of their locker room core for sure is gone. Two thirds of the KGB line is gone. Um, have they done enough and is the young guys that are going to be looking to make this team are, are they well, I, legit? Go ahead.
1: No, it's okay. Um, are they legit? Um, I think some of their youngsters are legit. I, I think, yeah, losing Mark andre Flory definitely hurts. Certainly they wouldn't have got there without him last year. So that's, that's something they won't have this year, but it doesn't mean they can't make it without him this year. I mean, they've, they've, you know, done it before. So that's okay. Hainsey, yeah, it hurts a little bit. Cullen, yeah, it hurts a little bit. Benino hurts the most because I don't yeah. think there's anybody really out of you know, even for their youngsters that could replace them, uh, uh, Matt Cullen. Just because uh, Benino rather because the face offs and, and the toughness and everything. Um but I still think they're gonna be okay. They're getting Crystal Tang back. I mean that's massive. Big piece. I mean yeah. again Ron Hainzey was filling in for Crystal Tang, so any missing offense for any of this turnover could come from Chris Letang. So, in a way, they they lost some of these guys, but they're still pretty dynamic. They still have Crosby. They still have Malkin. Uh, sure. <laughs> we'll see if a guy like Daniel Sprong can make the team. I mean, that's you know, they they have some guys still.
2: Yeah. The question for me with with Pittsburgh is the the center depth. Um, yeah. You know. That's, uh, you're going to have to find find someone to jump in um, behind, obviously, Crossy and Malkin are going to be fine, but, yeah. um, and then, you know, Matt Murray, even when he first came up and, and had his run through the Stanley Cup playoffs, everybody commented on his, his uh, demeanor being very calm, not awed by the moment, and his play on the ice certainly proved out that, that assessment. Um, but it's a, it is a different animal being the bona fide number one, as as being a one A one B type with Andre Fleury there. Um, have we seen anything from Matt that, that that maybe maybe having the 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 mentor and Mark Andre Fleury not there is going to be a problem for him? Or, or no, in my opinion, no. I think he's going to be fine, right?
1: Yeah, I think he'll be fine. I, I I'm not worried about that at all. I would definitely say. While the center depth isn't great, you know what? You'll still see a boost, I think, this year out of Jake Gensel, even from last year, right. and I think that's going to help them. Uh, Shiri, still still pretty damn good. Yeah, they'll throw in, like, Rowney and Wilson maybe at those other center spots, but they have good wingers to go with that. So, you know, they added Ryan Reeves for that fourth line, which means they added more toughness, and maybe Sestito doesn't play... Actually, yeah, Sestito. and um, who is Sestito with now? Is he with them or is he with uh? No, he is with them, right? Because he and Reeves collided recently. Right.
0: Correct. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So we won't see Sestito probably as much or ever, because Reeves can actually play hockey where Sestito really can't. So I think <laughs> I think they'll be okay. I mean, defensively, even that third pairing with with Mata and Hunwick is fine. Like, I, right. I'm not really I worried about that. him. Justin Justin Schultz has proven now that he is a lot better than when he was with Edmonton. He's actually right. become the guy that most everybody thought he would become. And so last year was a huge year for him. So I, I think they're good. I still think they're, you know, the team that will be the number one out of the Metro, unless all of a sudden guys just start dropping early because of the uh, – Stanley Cup issue where you get guys just they, they off a short summer, they get banged up. If that doesn't happen, they're still the favorite.
2: Okay. Okay. Well, let me bring in Chris. Um, mm-hmm. Chris Chris writes for the IonIles.com as everybody knows, and uh, is, is a lifetime, lifetime Long Islander. So um, let's, let's jump over to the Islanders and bring Chris into the show, Chris.
0: Hey, Russ. Great to have you on the show. So uh, you know, to me, Russ, uh, the Isles are a very one of the most interesting teams in the league. Uh, you know, if things certain don't go right or certain things go wrong, I can see a repeat of last year of just missing the playoffs. But mm-hmm. if things come together, and one of the many hats that you wear is you also appear on the Hockey Buzz webcast, and I read this morning uh, Eklund's uh, blog on his surprise East team that he thinks is going to have a big season is the Islanders, and that was music to uh, many people on Long Island out here. So what has to happen for the the glass half full versus uh, versus what you're concerned about with the Islanders, so kind of a big picture about them, and if you can in your okay. answer... Um, being the prospect guru that you are and you and one other person I, I go to for prospects in terms of the roles, what you see out of Barzell, Hosong and View in terms of this year. And everyone should know that even though Russ went astray somehow in his childhood, he is the native son of Long Island. So uh, <laughs> I'll leave you with that. You with that. It,
1: it, it wasn't that I went astray. It was that the Rangers were there before the Islanders. So when I lived on the Island, the Islanders didn't exist. And I started watching hockey the year before the Islanders came into existence. So, literally, oh. it was just a year away. Otherwise, it could have been a different story. But anyhow, uh, and I really got killed during high school when, <laughs> when, when the Islanders were great. <laughs> so, it was, it, it was not fun to sort of live that out. But I don't know about the Islanders because I don't feel as confident as what you read this morning from Eck. Because my problem is... I think the John Severa situation is a little bit of a black cloud in the locker room, and and I think it's going to be one of those things where, you know, nobody's going to talk about it, we're not going to talk about it, nobody's going to ask him about it, but the arena thing is going to be talked about all year, and as a result, it puts him in, uh, basically in a state of flux. So what I think will happen with John Tavares is the same thing that happened with Steve Stamkos. I think he will ride out the season. Then he will court everybody in free agency, and then he'll make that final decision. And I think that is not going to bode well for a great year this year. Now, as far as impact from some of the other guys, yeah, Barzell will definitely have impact. Now, you know, I I like going to roster resource and looking at their stuff. They're they're suggesting Barzell is going to be a fourth line center. I don't think the Islanders should make Matt Barzale a fourth line center. I don't think
2: okay. that helps
1: anybody. If I would rather see them pair him on the third line as a winger, and let him and let him get a lot more ice time, at least if they're going to stick with Kazikis at center. So that's what I would do. But we'll see. If they're going to do it, they're going to do it. I I don't know how that's going to roll yet. Uh, Hosang is going to be interesting because, again, he has all the talent in the world. We have to see if he could put it all together, and we have to see if he could just stay composed on the ice. Because his biggest thing is just when when all of a sudden he goes off the rails penalty-wise, then that affects his game. Otherwise, I think he'll be fine. So I think that helps them, and I think offensively they are pretty good. But I do think there's a little bit of a black cloud. Defensively, I think they're fine. I, I really... I like their pairings. I like the guys they have. I don't know where Ryan Pulak's fitting in, though, and that, that worries me. To me, he should be fitting in there, and you know some, some places don't have him fitting in. But if it's, if it's really a situation where if I'm going to decide that I'm having to play on a given night, Hickey, Seidenberg, and Pulak, well, then Hickey and Seidenberg are going to start splitting time. Because I got to get Pulock in there. I got to play him on the second power play. I got to have that shot on my power play. If I if they don't, I'm going to sort of shake my head a little and kind of wondering what Doug Waite's doing there. Dalcall is another one where, you know, he looks good right now, and so, at the end of the day, can Del Cole crack the lineup? Yeah, I think there's there's definitely a way he can crack the lineup. I mean, if, if he has to crack the lineup. At the expense of, expense of someone like Jason Chimera, then so be it. I mean, you easily could put him in instead of Cal Clutterbuck, but for whatever reason, because he's a character guy, whatever, they traded a lot for him. He's going to play a lot of games, even if he doesn't score many goals. They like him in the room. I get it. Chimera does give him speed, but you know what? If Dal Cole is is ready, he'll give him a lot more. And so I kind of wonder where Dal Cole fits in this, if he does.
0: Uh, last quick point on them is uh, how do you feel about Doug Wade in terms of you know, managing uh, those situations you brought up? And I'm sure he's very aware of uh, the point you brought up about T- uh, Tavares as well and making sure that he can do the best he can given that situation.
1: Yeah, he's powerless in the, in the Tavares part. So, so there's nothing he can do with that. But I thought he handled the team really well last year. and was worthy of of coming back. And and so I think he helped their power play a bit. I think he is open to having young guys make the team. And I think that's a positive, where Jack started to become pretty closed about young guys making the team. He was worried about his job. And, you know, anytime you have a coach worried about your job, they're always going to fall back to that default with the veterans. And that always worries me. So I, I think you're fine with, with weight in there. And I don't think he's a, a hindrance at all. I like the fact that they have Scott Gomez. I was, I, I said a lot Scott Gomez the other day, actually, when, uh, during the rookie game, when the Flyers played the Islanders, the Islanders won that game. Uh, it was fun to see him and I think he'll, he'll be a positive influence. So I think, I think those things are right, but I think at the end of the day, the way the Metro is, unless they're having like this unbelievable season, I think they're going to come up a little short for the playoffs.
0: Ooh. That's how I heard, Chris. I, put a, smile, I put a smile on my face this morning, and Russ, Russ took it away. All I'm right. sorry. No, I I guys, I'm just being realistic. No, well, here's the thing. I
1: look at it this way. I, think I look at it this way. I it this the, way. I, if you take off your orange glasses for a minute and you say, are they better than... The Rangers, Pittsburgh, Washington, or Columbus. That's your. That's what you have to answer. Uh,
0: I, I like I said. I they try to. I always try to take my glasses off. Orange uh, <laughs> glasses off. But I, I really do believe that they're an intriguing team from the standpoint of I can easily see them just missing the playoffs like last year, or I could yeah. see them landing second or third in the Metro if if everything kind of came together because they are sure. they're one of the deeper teams in the league. Uh, you know, uh, I you know I grant you about the point about Tavares, but he's got he's a smart cookie. He has to know that, so he's got to do everything he, he does. can to help that. He is the captain of the team as well. So I don't think it'll uh, affect his
1: him. play, but it doesn't mean right. there won't affect teammates' play.
0: Right, and I and I think Wade is good with the young players, and I think they will they will push that. So, like I said, I can easily see them, and I hope I'm not being a cop out here, but. Uh, there are a few teams in the league where, like Winnipeg, I can see them having a really strong season, and I can see them just coming up a bit short. So those teams, to me, are really intriguing. And the depth that Pittsburgh and Washington got hit with, uh, loss, you know, I think could open the door. And not that they're not going to make the playoffs, but they're not going to have 115, 120 points, So.
1: No, no, I agree with own. that. I agree with that. I will say this, though. As far as Winnipeg goes, I think Mason will actually get them in the playoffs. Remember, he had the ten-game winning streak for the Flyers.
2: Yeah. The only
1: reason Steve Mason's not playing for Philly now is because Dave Hackstall doesn't like him. They just there right. was there was a, a clash there, and he always went to Neuvirth over Mason. But anytime the Flyers were successful with those two goalies, it was really always because of Mason. So I think I think Winnipeg's got a little bit more going than the Islanders, but not much. But again, right?
0: They're in a tough. They're in a tough too, spot yeah. too. Yeah. All right, Mark. So I think you wanted
2: to hit uh, Russ with Columbus. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to go to the to the to the Blue Jackets next, and they're another they're another intriguing team. Uh, 108 points last season. Um, they did a little bit of roster shakeup. Uh, the the big addition, obviously, being the bread man, bringing Panarin in, Sods out, a couple other yeah. pieces going both ways in that trade. Right, we're about to learn if uh, a lot of Panarin stats which are awful gaudy for a a first and second year player um, how much of that was beneficial due to having obviously playing with Patrick Kane um, and and how much he can take his game uh, really on his own shoulders and translate that into offensive production with Columbus how do you see that shaking out
1: well I I think Alexander Wemberg plays the game at a pretty high level
2: and Absolutely. so I don't
1: think it's and, – and Nick Foligno's a, a good going-after-the-puck kind of guy and puck-possession guy, too, and, and has scored you know, a decent amount of goals in his own right. Not not a star or anything, but, but a real good player. So I think the pace will still be good, and I think the Wemberg panarin connection will be very strong. I mean, will he have some point drop-off? Yeah, he might, because Patrick Kane's Patrick Kane. But I think Panarin will be fine. I don't think he's going to be affected that much by that. I, I like – what Columbus has, I think this is probably the strongest lineup offensively that they've ever run with, and and that's a big thing. Defensively, they're really solid. Like there's, I mean, if you're going to complain about anybody, you you would complain about their sixth defenseman. And <laughs> if you're complaining about a team's sixth defenseman, it's sort of like you're okay complaining about like that extra outfielder in baseball, or you know your your backup catcher or whatever. I mean, the sixth defenseman doesn't affect the game that much. So I love what they have on defense. I think it's great. I'm glad they didn't get rid of Ryan Murray in a trade. So all that looks good. Now, offensively, the big boost for them, besides Panarin, really could be Pierre-Luc Dubois. He had two goals last night. He, He had a spectacular world junior from a perspective that he didn't score a lot of points. Everybody sort of just keeps thinking that, You know, points are everything, and that's how you're going to determine a guy's success. But what I looked at to determine his success was that he was playing well at center, which is what they want him to be. And on this team, he could be a third-line center. And he also played really well defensively, very good physically, because he's a big guy. And he skates well, and he does have that offensive talent. But even if he's not bringing a ton of offense, if he's on a line with, let's say, Borkstrin and Calvert, it's a pretty good line. And I think he'll. I think production could be really good. So I think that's a nice boost, and I do believe he'll make the team. Now, what could really hurt him is on the fourth line if they lose Josh Anderson because I don't think he's signed yet, right, unless he – I was driving back yesterday uh, and I no, saw that.
0: Yeah, yeah, he hasn't signed yet.
1: Right, so he's threatening to now go to the KHL or Europe. And if they lose him, that, that'll be a little bit of a blow because he really is a, a nice player. Now, who would they fill in that spot? Good question. I don't know if uh, you want Sonny Milano on a fourth line. That's an issue.
2: Native son. So,
1: sorry? <laughs> Native, Native son. son. Is how he said. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah. he's from my hometown. It's funny That's because right. That's right. I'm from North Massapequa, but like anything else in the world, North Massapequa, like unless you live on Long Island, to the rest of the world doesn't exist. So what ends up happening is everybody gets defaulted to Massapequa. Because, you know, the yep. Seinfelds from there and, and the ball yep. wins and everything else. And I had to battle that also for, you know, my whole childhood. But he's actually from North Masspeak, and that's where I'm from. So it is fun. But, again, I don't know if I'm putting him on the fourth line, right? So that's, so that's where they could hurt, get hurt a little bit on the fourth line if that doesn't happen. Maybe Tyler Mott is the guy that – and I like Tyler Mott a lot. And I think Chicago did lose something when they when they lost him. So maybe Tyler Mott, even though he is a center, maybe they throw him on the wing. That's possible. And, and then that maybe that'll be okay. But again, Josh Anderson's a real good player. The season depends on Bob. We know that if he gets hurt, it's a problem. Although I, I really do think their goaltending situation is fine. I love Corpus So I think he's one of the best backups in the league, actually. The fact that John Tortorella actually likes both of these goalies is a miracle. And so that's because <laughs> he used to complain about goalies all the time. And now he never complains yeah. about his goaltending. You never hear boo. And so, and, and he didn't really about one either, but all before that he did. And so I think you have a good situation here. I, I think they're a playoff team, but they're going to be right on that, on the bubble. I think, I think they're going to struggle trying to pass a team like the Rangers. I think the Rangers will go second or third and, in the Metro, depending on what the uh, Shattenkirk factor is.
0: Well, since you brought up the Rangers there, Russ, uh, uh, I was going to – I see three, let's call it areas of concern, and you you, you tell me mm-hmm. uh, how, how legitimate. Obviously, are they still strong enough in their own end on, on defense? Um, Dunn is awesome, but, you know, after that. Um, uh, in terms of center – uh know, Mark brought up before about the center of Pittsburgh. I, I think it's yep. probably more of a concern with with the Rangers. And do you think Pavlik could be as what Ranta has given them in the last couple of years? I, I kind of wonder about that as well, because Ranta was really good for them. And I know Pavlik was playing, in, in, you know, not in front of the best team in terms of defensively in Winnipeg. But I don't know. I don't know if he, you know, how much better the Rangers could be at, at, at times. They could be a bit sloppy as well. So how do you feel about those three areas for them?
3: Yeah. Pre-Ranger
1: Andre Pavlik, I don't like. Now, maybe five years ago I would have said, yeah, I like Andre Pavlik. But then he sort of fell off the ledge. But this is a reason that Benoit Allaire is the Rangers' goaltending coach and really like an assistant coach. and And that is because he has been able – you go back and look at guys that he has turned around and – I think he definitely improved Ronta, certainly gave Talbot a name. I, I mean, it's just... Eh, hmm?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and so, like, anybody who really came in there really did well under his tutelage. So I think there's a chance that he'll do well for them. Now, center position is tough. I don't know if if Nieves will make it as their center. I, you know fourth line center. I don't know if he'll make it. So if not, then they're looking at guys like Latary and we'll see how that shakes out. What what could happen is Nieves makes it to start the season and then when Fast comes back, then Deharnay gets moved to that center spot. Cuz right now they got Deharnay on the wing, but but he could move back to center. So maybe that's what the ultimate plan will be, but in the interim I think they're okay at the position. It's not great. And if the new face-off rule is in effect, I think it's going to hurt Kevin Hayes because Kevin Hayes always puts down that shoulder, it seems, before actually connecting with the stick to actually win face-offs using his size. And he had been able to get away with that. If he's not able to get away with that, it's going to hurt his face-off percentage for sure. So we'll see because you guys have seen it, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah. Yep, so, I, have, I have I have seen I have definitely seen uh, seen that uh, yeah. seen that a bit. Yeah, that's and other probably players probably do it totally too, and
1: I think that's why they're sort of trying to redefine the faceoff. But but right now, defensively they are in good shape. I mean, the Shattenkirk factor I think will be better than what a lot of the haters are talking about. Because just because he didn't do well with Washington doesn't mean he's not going to do well with the Rangers. He is going to do well. Vigneault is going to really work well with him. He is going to have every offensive opportunity, and that's all you have to do with Kevin Shattenkirk. He'll figure out the rest. Defensively, he'll be fine. Now, they will be addition by subtraction with Dan Girardi. Nobody is – I'm going to make a prediction. This is my bold prediction. Now, there's always going to be on Twitter some dummy that that posts, oh, we missed Dan Girardi, but I'm going to say nobody is going to – and when I say writer, I'm going to say like from a national writer perspective – nobody's going to say they missed Dan Girardi. It's going to be addition by subtraction. He's going to be lost in the locker room, like if that's a loss in the locker room, but he didn't have that many good moments last year, and the year before was spotty too. So I think just not having him there is fine. Now, what will be the sticking point is Nick Holden now will be the whipping boy. If he doesn't have like 11 goals like he did last year, his defense was awful in the playoffs. Now, this year... He is their number six. And this is, of course, assuming Mark Stahl makes the team, even though Vigneault sort of put him on the hot seat by saying, you might not make it. Who knows if he'll even, you know, be on the starting lineup. So, so but I think he will. I don't think they have a choice. So I think uh, unless Berej Golov will really impress them, the Russian kid they brought in, I, I don't think Stahl's is going anywhere, at least not right away. Now, he could play himself out of a job. He could, and if that happens, that's fine. Look, we're going to see a better year out of Brady Shea, and he had a great year. Like, he was close to being a Calder candidate, so that's a big boost for them, too. And right now, where you see, like, Stahl listed as a second-pairing defenseman, I'm not sure about that. Mark Stahl may start the year on third pair, and they may start Brady Shea on the second pair, and that's what I would do. I would put Shane Smith together and and go with that and not worry about the third pair as much, because i got to start getting Shea more action, more shots, a little bit of power play, because I'm going to get more points out of him. And so that's they're in a good spot with that. I, the backup goaltending, look, if I know the Rangers had that great run with Cam Talbot, but most years that does not happen for a team. And if you lose your starting goalie, it's sort of like the NFL, you're you're not going to be in good shape. So they can't worry about that. They'll have Bucinevich back. If he's healthy – an interesting line of Buchnevich, Zabonajad, and Kreider will be fun to watch. Now, will they miss Derek Stepan? Sure. But they're not going to miss him in the face-off circle. He was average to below average. And he wasn't a top-line center, but he got forced into that job. We know that. Zabonajad at least is a bigger guy. Now, that's a pretty big, strong line with those three young guys. And so that's something where that could really be a catalyst for them or – It could be really a struggling point, but I think they started to get back to making sure that they got at least two or three stretch passes a game to Kreider to give him some open ice opportunities on goalies. If they can do that every game, Kreider's goal, you know, total will jump again. And and that's what they do need to do. Second line, Nash, Hayes, Zuccarello, that's a really great line. Now this is the last year of Rick Nash. He's not going anywhere. They're not trading him. He's just going to fade away from the Rangers. We'll see what he has in him. He's not going to score 40 goals, and I can't tell you he's going to score 25. Like, I just don't know what Nash will do, but at least on the second line there, there is continuity, and I do like the way that line plays together. Third line, you know, looking at Grabner, Miller, and DeHernay, I don't expect Grabner to have the same kind of year last year. For, this, for the same reason he couldn't bury those breakaways with Toronto and buried every one of them with the Rangers – It'll probably come back to Earth a little, but the team's good. I mean, McDonough and Shattenkirk—that's a lot of teams would kill to have that first pairing on defense, and I think that's going to be a key to the season.
2: Okay, well, let's. Uh, yeah, I was seeing if you had a follow-up there. Um, I want to go to the Flyers next. Um, okay, they did. Uh, I mean, the way the lottery <laughs> played out. Uh, wasn't really, obviously, the way anybody expected, but it certainly didn't go the Vegas Golden Knights way. Um, no. But Philly did jump up, grab the number two ball, and for most of the season, Nolan Patrick was the consensus number one. Uh, with New Jersey going with Nico, Patrick falls in their lap, which should ease the loss of Braden Shin somewhat if, if he can yeah. step up and take that second-line center spot. And I know you're uh, deep into into hockey prospects, and have probably seen way more of Nolan Patrick than me. Is he going to be able to jump in at the start of the season and and grab that number two center spot?
1: No, I think they'll they'll give it to Couturier. Like I think if Patrick makes the team, because I'm not going to be one of these guys that says it's an absolute stone cold lock. Because okay. what if he stumbles in preseason? What if he has a little nagging injury? What if? So I'm not going to say he's a guarantee. But I'm saying he's he's getting closer every day. He's definitely shaking the rust off. He looked good against the Bruins yesterday, or the day before yesterday. Now, uh, so that one Thursday, I'll see him on Tuesday against the Rangers. That'll be a nice test for him. See how he reacts with the rivalry. I think he'll be good. I still think he was he he would have been the number one for most teams. I think it was there was a lot of reasons why New Jersey went with Hisher, and and that's fine. I love Nico Hisher. I. <laughs> I don't have a problem with the pick at all, but I still think Patrick right. is, is fantastic. And so the, there's a couple of X factors. I, I think Letterra is really out to prove himself again. I did an article on Sportsology where he was very open and candid with me, and, and Yuri Letera basically needed a change. He, he almost could tell that the Hitchcock factor was getting to him. And so that's, that's nice. He's going to probably be on the wing, so he'll have an opportunity to score more. So I think you have something there. Lindblom is a guaranteed stone cold lock to make the team and he looks fantastic in the preseason. He looked fantastic in rookie camp and the rookie game. He's looked good all along. He's strong, he's smart. He might put in 15, 17 goals and 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 that's that's a nice thing. He'll play that he'll play that third line. Sopela will will center that line. Sopela has been real good for them. I think I think don't worry, you know, not worrying about the salary aside, he's a pretty good center to play with. And Matt Reed, I don't know. We'll see if Matt Reed can keep that job. Taylor Lear is trying to take that job. There's a bunch of guys. Mike Vecchione's trying to take that job. I mean, Vecchione was a heck of a player with Union. I watched him his whole college career. And he's strong and he plays great defense. And Hackstall likes defensive guys. He has more finish in his game, I think, than Lear. But... Haxall does sort of like Lear because he's fast, and but he's not a big guy. Vecchio's a little bigger, a lot stronger. Vecchio's got a family of uh, weightlifters, so it's something where bodybuilders actually. So it's something where he's been he's grown up with that. So he he's rock solid on D. So he he certainly has a chance for that job too. Fourth line, yeah, you're probably looking at Wheel and Weese, and then we'll see about that center spot. Would they have Patrick do a fourth line center? No way. So if If Patrick is going to make it as a center, then when you're looking at fourth-line center, that's sort of up for grabs. It's probably Scott Lawton's job at this point. Lawton's had a real good camp. He's finally, uh, I guess, in the good graces of Dave Haxtell. I think Haxtell was sort of lukewarm about him previously. So I think Scott Lawton is most likely that fourth-line center. And so they'll be good. They'll be a team... Close to the playoffs, I don't think they'll make it. Defensively, I think they're good, but they're not as good as they're going to be in the future. I think right now you're looking at Robert Hogg making it because of he's a little older. He's got the good size factor, so I think you're looking at that. And It seems like Sam Moran is fast-tracked here. I haven't loved the way Sam Moran has looked, but if they're only going to put him on the third pair and just expect some defense and physical play, then I think he can get through that. Provov and McDonald are still probably going to be the top pair. I don't think Sandheim will make the team out of camp because I think they want to keep him in a top guy role, top pairing role, let him get all that in Lehigh. And if there's injury, sure, bring him up. But only if there's an injury in the top four. They're not going to bring him up. There's a bottom pairing injury because they got other guys they could bring up. And so that's, I think that's the direction that we're looking at. And so right now, and Goss' has got to hit the net. Like he's had problems with that. Brandon Manning's that extra, extra defenseman that they have. If Moran really doesn't look good, then Manning will steal his job. And Moran will go back and then he'll be that guy that if there's a bottom six spot with an injury, he's the guy that'll pop in and if there's a top four, then then Sanheim will pop in. And that's a lot better than the Flyers have had. You know, Stellar's, I feel bad with that injury. I think that's going to kind of really hurt his Flyers career. Uh, right now, Brian Elliott, I still think he could bring it to some degree. I don't think they want to play Brian Elliott too much, but I think he's certainly capable. So, I mean, I look at the team and I say, if everything hit right, everything, they could make the playoffs. But everything has to hit right and it didn't all hit right last year. And so and when it did all hit right, they made the playoffs what on the last day in the season. So we'll see. It might come down to that
2: again. <laughs> okay. Um I did wanna you touched on it you touched on it a little bit. Um Brian Elliott, leaving St Louis bounced around. Um and it doesn't sound like you think he's going to 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 lock the number one position down. Are you looking at a one A one B with Noivarth and Elliott there? Yep. Yes,
4: I believe that much that's the, the same case, way uh, that
2: Mason and Neuwirth, uh went back and forth yep. too.
1: Well, but here's the thing. So, but last year, if you remember, most of us thought, "Hey, Mason's going to start the year," and they started with Noivarth. And Hextall said, right. "Don't look into that. It's whatever." and, and but it was like. You know, Mason didn't play a lot at the beginning. Neubirth was playing more, but then as Neubirth would would be, he gets injured. Then Mason comes in and Mason has to go and play all those games in a row, and he reels off the ten in a row. This is the problem with Neubirth. If Neubirth could play fifty games, then the Flyers might be able to make playoffs. But he's got to play at least fifty games. I mean, and And that's that's not a lot. Yes, and that's not a lot, but. Because we know Elliott could certainly play the other 32, but I think that um, he's got to play at least 50 Neuberth. He does.
2: Okay. All right, real
0: quick, last one uh, Last one for me, uh, last two teams I have. Uh, in terms of Carolina Russ, if I told you they're going to get B-plus going for the entire season, do you think they can make the playoffs? And the other part of that is the Capitals – I'd be a little, I mean, I'd be, if I was a Capitals fan, I'd be a little concerned about their depth, especially on the blue line. If they got, if one of their top three defenders were to miss significant time, uh, I'd be nervous if I was a Capitals fan. Am I wrong on that? So those two quick hits on Carolina and Washington.
1: Well, Caroline is close. They're really close. I, I, I like their defense. I think they've, they've got a good crew there. I don't know if someone like Hayden Fleury is going to make the team, but if he doesn't, boy, that, that gives them even more depth. So I think their defense is finally where you want it to be. I think offensively, look, Sebastian Ajo is going to have an even better year this year, and Skinner's healthy. If Skinner stays healthy, like they, I think they have enough offense. They have offensive defensemen. They, they look good. I, I mean, it's all going to depend on that goaltending position. It really is but I think it's going to work out. I do. I think the same reason that cam Talbot was able to make the transition. And I questioned it at the beginning. I don't know if he can do it or not. Cause nobody knew, but I think Scott right. darling can, cause he reminds me of cam Talbot. I've interviewed him. He's sort of like the same kind of guy. He's a positional goalie. Doesn't think too much about anything. I don't think he's going to overthink it. So if Scott darling has a great year, Carolina's going to put a pressure on a lot of teams. Now, Washington there's definitely a fall off, but it's not a fall off the cliff. Fall off like they're going to still make the playoffs. Like I'm not worried about the Capitals not making the playoffs. What I'm worried about is the Capitals going out in one round in the playoffs, and then maybe Barry Trotz would have to worry about his job. So that's where we're going to have to sort of keep an eye on things and and see where they're at. It's never all Ovechkin's fault, even though people want you to believe that. Uh, T.J. Oshie keeping him was huge. I think he could have an even better year. I, I, like, I think the loss of Johansson's a loss, though. That, yep. The market show? But, but as I say that, will a guy like Varana get a, finally get a chance to play regularly? And Burakovsky, if he's healthy, that could make up the gap there. So they've got guys. They do have a load of guys. So I'm not, I'm not overly concerned line? about them.
0: What about that blue line, though?
1: Yeah, it's it's a little askew. There's no question about it. Alsner is a loss. I, I, you know, it's like it's like anything else. You hope that some of the young guys can step up for them. I mean, that's that's the big thing. But again, Trotz is not the one that really likes to put in rookie defensemen, and so based on that, he might have to. <laughs> I mean, look, the, he might go with. Taylor Chorney and Aaron Ness as a bottom pairing. He doesn't have to. That's the right. thing. And if he doesn't, then we'll see where that, that's going to land him because I'm not in love with that. Now, they did just pick up Yoki Paca as well. Is he going to get a contract? I don't know. I don't know a lot. He's physical. He moves the puck well. And he has a little bit of a offensive game too, but – are they going to let him percolate some more? They might, because that's sort of been their way. Siegenthal is a hell of a player, but probably doesn't have a chance to make the team. But but maybe Yogi Paka is the X factor, because I liked him a lot in Calgary, and I think he just, you know, was just on the outs a little bit with the coaching staff. And then offensively, they still have Riley Barber really not doing anything for him, and so at least if there's an injury, he he could be the guy this year that sort of breaks in there and gets some play, but right now, it looks like Verona could play the third line. That could be some nice offense for them, because he just has to play consistently. He's been doing it at the AHL level now for a couple of seasons, so I think they're fine, but I don't know if they're a Stanley Cup team.
0: Yeah, for me, you Niskanen know, they... and, and the Nolov, they got to stay healthy. I mean, yes. they can miss a game here and there, but uh, I agree with you. I-, I will say this. I wouldn't be surprised if they fell to a wild card team.
1: I mean, it wouldn't shock me, but I think they'll do better than that. But but Orloff gets a bigger role this year, and I think with a bigger role, you're going to see more points out of him. I think that's going to help them, too.
2: Well, if they need more more veteran uh, defense for their, for their bottom six, they could – they could do their old general manager a huge favor and uh, take a couple of George's extra defensemen out of Las Vegas <laughs> for a couple of picks.
0: I don't. Uh, think, I don't think they have the cap space.
2: <laughs> no,
0: well,
1: but uh, you know Las point. Vegas is not going to have all those guys after the trading deadline.
2: You know some of them are getting moved. Right. The, yes. By they, they got to get deadline, them yeah. off the roster yes. before the season starts. They. Uh, I'm looking at having to lose at least two or three of them before the start of the regular season. To be honest with you. Um, they're they're holding 11 NHL contracts right now, and that what that could mean is the only the only guy that's waiver exempt right now is Shea Theodore, and you don't want to put him back in the HL and do what the Ducks did to him and frustrate the kid. He's NHL ready. He's going to be our number one, the Knights' number one defenseman for for the next 10 years if if their plan works out. So I yeah, think but but they still might send him back to start because of the number they might that, have. It's to. not impossible. Yeah. Yeah, they might they might have to, and, and unless they can move a couple of those guys, even even put a, you know it might don't be surprised if a guy like Lucas Visa just gets put on waivers and hope someone picks him up, and then if he he wins, might
1: and then he might end up reporting to Chicago anyhow. Like I don't know how many exactly. they could put in Chicago. I think they have to have like eleven guys or something minimum. Is that the right number?
2: I I think that's correct.
1: So because of the shared affiliation, so if out of the eleven. They can move three of them down there that helps the problem
2: for sure for sure yeah, um, real
1: quick
0: so uh, clear, and stoner we clear waivers too yes yeah. true that's true
2: um real quick uh the the devil devils uh la- last in the mm-hmm. east last season um just just what do you expect out of nico as the number one overall pick this year real quick um we're going to have dana lane coming in here in just about a minute or two so um, not really I, much to, to look at in New Jersey, but a quick synopsis on Nico.
1: No, I think Nico could 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 get 20 goals and 50 points if things broke right. I I, I do love the fact that they have Will Butcher there, and I think if, if Butcher gets on a power play with Heischer, if that could be a real nice thing. Because, look, Damon Severson is nice and he's a decent player, but if Will Butcher is feeling comfortable at the NHL level, he could be a great power play guy. And so that's something where I think the Devils have really upgraded themselves and really could put a, you know, like a hurting and scare into teams. I think that's what the Devils will do this year. And, and I think trying to corral Nico Heischer at times is going to be a chore, especially you're going to have him with Johansson. That's probably a pretty good pairing there. Or are you going to put him with Taylor Hall? I mean, it's up to them, but they're probably going to put him with Johansson to start on a second line. And if they do that, that's a pretty dangerous combo right there. I, and I also think Pavel Zaka will have a big year. So I think they're going to cause some problems. Drew Stafford's a nice addition. Defensively, they're still a little weak, but they're they're getting better. I don't love the top pairing because I don't know if Andy Green's a top pairing guy, but he's captain. They're going to do it that way, whatever. Uh, right. But Butcher and Santini's not a bad pairing, though. If they go with those guys, that's actually a pretty good pairing. And, and I do have a lot of faith in Butcher, and I think he sure will be – a guy that we talk about for at least part of the year for the Calder. I don't know if he'll stay in the race the whole year.
2: Okay, Russ, tell everybody where like they can McAvoy find your stuff. And sir.
1: Debrinket and stuff. Sorry.
2: Tell everybody where they can find your stuff, sir.
1: They can find me at sportsology.com. You could listen on SiriusXM. Our show is on the weekend. You can just go to their homepage. And, or you can go to TSN's podcast page and listen to the show at the end of. That, you can go to our SoundCloud page and listen to your fine show and a Friday night podcast I do called Off the Post. And if not, then I'll end up in other places before the end of the year, too. Uh,
2: All right, all right. Uh, Top three in the division, who you got? Top three in the
1: division, Penguins, Rangers, Capitals.
2: Okay, that's not a bad that's not a bad pick, sir. Thank you for spending some of your Saturday morning with us, sir. We really do appreciate it and also the affiliation right, guys. with the with the sportsology page. Have a good day. Yeah, and thank it's fun. You so I'm excited.
1: You. I, you know, I love your guys' show.
2: Thanks, man. Really appreciate,
0: appreciate it. Right. Look forward to having you back. And ho- hopefully All good. Thanks, on the Mark. Island. Thanks,
1: Chris. <laughs> you yeah, it. I'll I'll see you on the island. I, I like I haven't had Zorns in a while. I was there for a couple weeks ago, but I didn't get to Zorns, so I, that's I have to get oh, back.
3: Okay.
2: All right. Thanks a lot, sir. All right. See you guys. Take care. Thanks, Russ. All right. Well, let's jump right, right over to Dana Lane, uh, play-by-play voice of UNLV Rebel Hockey and our Vegas Hockey Insider here on the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Dana, good morning to you, sir.
3: Hey, good morning. How are you? Beautiful day in
2: Vegas. Oh, yeah, how about it? We're getting our first little hint of autumn this morning. Uh, yesterday, we had a nice little wind change, changed the weather quite a bit. It's uh, just a little cool Thank outside. You no 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 we're down towards the 70s sir <laughs> oh. <laughs> our 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 autumn our autumn is a little bit different than everybody else's so uh it might be as high as, as 80 today but uh still still very nice very nice change of the weather last night how's uh how's UNLV camp shape shaking shaking up they're off to a pretty good start for their their division one debut sir
3: yeah absolutely I mean as we we uh talked after one game last week that beat Arizona State and then came back and beat them again so they started off 2-0. and uh, Home opener last night at City National Arena which I happen to be uh, sitting outside right now uh, which probably looks strange to a lot of people but um, <laughs> they took it on the chin uh, took it on the chin last night to Colorado lost one to nothing or I'm sorry they lost three nothing it was a one nothing game forever then Pull goal to pull goalie in the two on one, and it was three nothing. But um, you know, these are kind of the ups and downs for the program, and a lot of these, you know, a lot of these folks remember when you know they're twenty eight and seven at a D two level. You know, so there is a a definitive step up between Division two and Division one, and you know, Colorado came in, they were not intimidated, they played physical, and I thought UNLV showed um showed the ability to again play at this level despite the despite the loss. I, I can tell you this. My and just quick uh assessment of last night without rewatching it again, the passing has to be just a little bit quicker. There's a split second of thinking and looking and that has to evolve into knowing and and that's hockey iq and knowing where everybody is and being able to cycle the pucks down low and get good scoring opportunities getting pucks to the net i mean they they had you know 24 25 shots on net last night in fact i think they had the the shot on goal advantage but you know the problem is when you have a, a colorado does um if you keep most teams to the perimeter you're not going to be. You're not going to find success. So today, I think they're going to come out a lot more physical, getting pucks in the net and getting those dirty, greasy goals in front.
2: Okay. When's uh When's their next game? Is it is it a home game down there? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, next game is uh, which is the reason why I'm sitting out here is today at 1.30 this afternoon. Um, and I will t- I- I'll tell you this. Aside from the game, guys, if UNLV to not see what's going on with their hockey program and the type of revenue that this thing potentially could generate, there was more people. For I, I mean, this is club hockey, guys. Okay, so it, it's not intramural for sure, but you know, it's not Division Three or Division One hockey. There was, there had to be eleven, twelve hundred people at this game last night, standing room only wow. as, as uh, inside the arena. And the fact of the matter is that there was more people at this game last night than I've seen at any 10 baseball games combined, and that's supposed to be a revenue sport. This is a revenue-generating sport that I don't think UNLV quite grasped the, the magnitude and what they could bring to their university.
2: Well, that's super good to hear. Uh, uh, I'm, uh, today at 1:30, I might be able to pop in for a period or two, so uh, hopefully I'll look cool. look up there and 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 say, be able to say hello to you for a little bit. I'm gonna go ahead and bring in Chris. He's got a couple of EGK questions to hit you with, Chris.
0: Hey Dana, great to have you back. Uh, Hi Chris. On on the night. So, what have you seen in camp with them in terms? I'm I'm very curious about. The youngsters they got in an expansion, and any youngsters in terms of the draft, uh, anyone kind of sticking out and making their case and saying, "Hey, I should be on the opening night roster."
3: Well, I think we talked about this last last week with Tyler Long. I mean, he was a kid that you know stuck out to me in practice, and and yesterday or the day before when when the Knights nice decided to send a lot of their kids back, including Cody. Uh, Cody Glass is going back to his uh, junior team. Um, They decided to hang on to Tyler for a little bit. And I was very interested the other night. Unfortunately, none of us got to see it, Uh, but he was in the starting lineup against the, uh, against the San Jose sharks and the sharks, you know, put a pretty, pretty good representation of what they will be on the ice that night. Um, And, and in most part, you know, and we again we take these things with a grain of salt because until Mark Andre Fleury's in that, and you know they they have a real team out there. It, it's hard to know what to take from all this, but the fact that he's still on on the roster and he will be in Anaheim uh, tomorrow night. You know, or presumably we haven't had that roster sent out yet, but you know, presumably he will be there. And I I just can't wait to see the evolution of this kid. Do I think? He's going to make the roster? Uh, ah, probably not. But this is really good experience. And by him sticking around, I think George McPhee and the brass for the uh for the Golden Knights are saying you're you're really in our plans. We're, we're very impressed with what you brought. And, and honestly, he's the one guy that has really stood out. Now, granted, against San Jose, you know, he didn't have uh, you know, he didn't have a hat trick and you know, didn't have uh this Sparkling effort for sure, but um, you know, he, he put, he gave, uh, I think he has 12, 13 minutes and I thought he accounted himself well from what I have heard. Cause again, nobody decided to broadcast the game, but um, I love the kid. I really am excited for him in his future. And he's, I know everybody's kind of focused on Cody glass and Cody has settled in as camp has gone on. His hockey vision has gotten better every time I've seen him play uh, both in practice and in, 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 at, in the games. But, uh, you know, for me, it's still Tyler Wong is, is the guy that has the spotlight shining on him the brightest.
0: And real quick, before I hand you back to Mark, uh, have you heard any any latest rumblings in terms of a possible trade uh, that McPhee uh, could move a defenseman? And if so, uh, any particular names?
3: Yeah, there's been no rumblings as far as that's concerned. I mean, McPhee has said from the beginning that they're going to let this thing play out in camp. And, of course, you know, there's been some injuries around the league, so there's there's possibilities there. But, um, you know, you just might be in a situation where you, you have to look, put these guys on waivers. I mean, that's that may be just what, what they have. I, I, I'm not sure if McPhee went into this thing thinking he was going to have Um, the the, glut of defensemen that he has at this point. I I, I think he probably thought it'd be in the, probably the uh, eight or nine range at this point, rather than the 11 range. But, um, you know, a move is going to have to make, or these guys are going to be put on waiver. So that's, you know, as simple as that. But, you know, I guess that's, uh, you kind of roll the dice a little bit with taking as many defensemen as possible, but no, I haven't heard anybody specifically that was in trade talks or, somebody that's looking to get moved, I think, you know, we still have a little bit of time where McPhee can, you know, kind of see what happens with injuries around the league. And I think he's just waiting by his phone, waiting for somebody to call them. Uh, In the meantime, you know, you're out there showcasing these guys and getting them as much, as much ice time as possible. But, you know, a guy like Griffin Reinhardt, I mean, if you want to throw a name out there, it's it's a guy that I've watched and have seen so far uh, early on yeah he'd be a guy for me that just kind of is in the bottom mix. So you know maybe there's a market for him. Maybe a guy like that just goes on waivers, but he's the first one that comes to mind. Um, yeah, as, I don't think he's a defenseman I don't, that's not I'm very good.
0: Clear waivers because one he has small cap number two, he's still young, and I know his progression hasn't been what everyone has hoped for, both from, you know, not so much with the Islanders, but when he went to Edmonton in that big trade. But someone would take a chance on him, being 22, 23 years of age. Maybe it just takes him a little bit longer. You know, again, we get spoiled with these youngsters. Uh, Johnny Boychuk, who's a stalwart defenseman with the the Bruins and now with the Islanders, top four guy, you know, he didn't reach the NHL until he was 25. So sometimes it takes a little bit longer. So a team really depleted on defense, such as – I mean, if I was Colorado, there's no way I, I would let him pass me on waivers with with the lack of defensemen I have and and see what we have uh with him. So, uh someone like him, I can't see clearing waivers. Some of the guys making some money. Uh some yes and some maybe, I would say.
3: Yeah, I mean maybe not clearing waivers, I mean for sure, but you know, I mean you 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 can't carry 11 defensemen and he's no, yeah, so right. I, you know, I mean he's the guy right now that you know, looks a little out of place. And yeah, granted, the age is certainly there. I mean, that's, you're absolutely correct about that. But we've seen him in a couple, a couple stops now where, you know, look, I, his reputation is he just has not gotten, the teams have not gotten out of him what they thought that they would. And I, I can clearly see why, why that is early on. So, you know, if I'm ranking defenseman, he would definitely be on my bottom as far as, uh, as far as guys I would want, you know, in my organization.
0: And you know what, Dana? At the end of the day, I mean, look, Edmonton didn't have a lot to offer. Neither did Vancouver. For sure. So, at the end of the day, yeah. and at the end, at the end of the day, they took Reinhardt and Spisa, and you know, they wind up somewhere else. Uh, you know, because no one got hurt during camp, and you didn't have any, you know, debt problems. I mean, that's just how the cookie crumbles. That's that, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, no harm, no foul. It's not, yeah, it's not even a was... negative against.
3: Even with Spezza, I mean, the guy's out there and he's taken a bunch of shifts. And, I, you know, I think he took 26 shifts the other night uh, or two games ago against Colorado. And, um, you know, they're out there definitely showcasing him, that's for sure. Uh, but he's out there and he's, uh, he's being physical on the ice, which I really liked. And, you know, I just – I don't know. There's some things about Reinhardt's games. I, I question some of his decision-making. Um, there was a three on two the other night that it, I, I didn't think he played that inc- that very well. I wish I saw the San Jose game, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, if I'm just ranking defensemen and you want to keep your best defensive guys in the organization and if age is not a factor, I mean, you know, you got to cut somebody <laughs> and they're, not, yeah. they're yeah. not getting, you know, and all these guys have got, uh, NHL know, contract. a bunch of guys that don't have, yeah, they have NHL contracts. There's there's not two way deals going on here. So you got to make room with someone. And I don't know if this is the situation that McKee envisioned himself being in, uh, but here we are. And then you have to choose, you know, you have to choose the guys that are going to be best for your organization. I, I just not so far impressed with him. So regardless of age, I just need to see something that says, "Okay, well, yes, you have age, but you also have this potential behind it," and I have not seen that second half yet.
2: Well, real quick, we got about a minute left, and our next guest, Mark Retchmel, is a producer and creative force behind a, a new documentary film, "The Golden Seal Story," and I see him on the line. Um, real quick, right. what do you? Just a general question. Um, what do you make of the way they're calling games? in the nhl this year um is it just me or are they is it a disaster because i don't want to see eight five on threes in every game and i don't think uh, a face-off violation even if it's the second consecutive one with somebody already in the box is worthy of of another two-minute penalty to throw teams on five on threes i i want to get your take on it but i really don't like it or or the way they're calling slashing
3: Well, let's let's hope that that's you know a quick thing, and once the regular season starts, they kind of settle into you know what they normally do. And, And honestly, look, I don't want to see somebody in the penalty box getting the same penalty that somebody would for for putting a stick in somebody's back. It's not the same. Type of thing. You can't give a guy two minutes for that. You continuously just, just kick him out of the faceoff circle until you, I mean, if you have to continuously do that, that's fine until you get to a person that's not very good in, the, in a player that's not good in the faceoff circle. So the penalty is you're probably not going to win the faceoff. That's the penalty. Period. It shouldn't be a two-minute penalty. That's absolutely That's insane. And these five-on-threes <laughs> that are being created are are, are absolutely—it's—it's it's egregious. Honestly, I mean, I'll even go back to UNLV last that. night. I, I'll go back to UNLV last night. Okay, they're they're lining up for a face-off. Both guys get to the dot. They drop the puck. There's there's just none of this, you know, none, like, none. You know roll over, play dead. We need you to bark before we give you the treat.
2: Yeah, well, see, that's what what gets me is if if the ref and we and we've all seen uh, the little fake drop of the puck real quick and guys jump in and the dude gets thrown out of the circle. Um, it's putting too much power in the ref's hands to create a power play. First of all, um, if, if he comes in and he has a hiccup when he drops the puck and someone moves, then he throws him out of the circle. The, the guy skate touches the line uh, in the next attempt and he's in the box for two minutes. It's it's just it and it's slowing the game down. I know that. It, most likely, they want to get more five-on-threes, more more power-play time, and increase scoring. It's always been the the goal of the league to increase yeah. scoring, and this seems like a very manufactured way to get it. Now, nobody wants to see somebody's finger hanging off their hand because of a slash, but if you have a one hand, I was watching. Um, I think it was the Boston game, and the the defenseman's bringing it out of the zone, and the the Boston forward just does his 180 and he's tracking the defenseman off the boards one hand on his stick he bumps the guy's hip and and it's i mean it's a stick check it's a stick tap it's not slashing he got 2 minutes in the box for tapping the guy on with one hand on his stick that's it's it it, it doesn't benefit. It, to me, it slows the game down. It breaks up the continuity, industry that's that's being shift to shift to shift throughout the game. And and if they're doing this in the preseason to try and send a message that the slashing is going to get cut down, or we're going to clean the faceoffs. That's fine. If they cannot continue to call games like this through the regular season, or I'm going to lose my mind.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a, you know, there there is a. Um, I don't know. I think you have to use your head a little bit on these things. And, um, you know, I don't think every cross check is the same. You know, I, I think, you know, if you're putting your stick into somebody's back, but you're not extending your arms, you're not doing it with any kind of force. I don't think that's a cross check. So they're And they're certainly not going to cr- call that, even though by definition that's a cross check. I mean. It's like you've got to use your head with some of these rules. And these five-on-threes, because guys are getting thrown out of a face-off circle, it, it looks ridiculous. It looks tiki-tack, and it looks Mickey Mouse, to be honest with you.
2: Well, I'm glad we're on the Spe- same page with that.
3: Speaking of Mickey Mouse, I'll be down in Anaheim for
2: the game tomorrow. Okay, good. I want to get. A, I want. gonna follow your Twitter feed, at Dana Lane NHL. I'm sure you'll be live-tweeting as much of the game as you can um yes sir, so, sir we got to let you go this week um we'll be in touch throughout the week and we'll talk to you next week. And, sir thanks for coming in all right guys
3: have a good day thank you for having me
2: yep and now i want to bring in a very special guest in our overtime segment today uh mark reachmill and i believe i'm getting the last name correct correct me if i'm not he's put together a pretty interesting documentary about the california golden seals and the story behind their, their little unique piece of National Hockey League history there, as, as short-lived as it was. Mark, welcome to the show, sir, and thank you for taking the time out of your Saturday to join us.
4: Hey, Russ, thank you so much, and glad, glad to be part of the show.
2: Um, well, I wanted to just start real quick, uh, what what it was that uh, inspired you to create this this little neat piece of history.
4: Why tell the story of a of a defunct team that played nine seasons starting in 1967? You know, a, a team nah. that was more famous for wearing white ice skates and trying out orange pucks, and uh, had a crazy owner, made disastrous trades that cost them Guy Lafleur. A team that uh, was involved with things like uh, the the only on ice death in a National Hockey League uh, game. Uh, you know they had every they had everything from uh people involved like Bing Crosby, Tom Hanks, even the Hell's Angels with the team and, and future superstars that they lost like uh Reggie Leach and Charlie Simmer. So uh I, I thought it was a story that needed to be told and and part of the reason is I'm a transplanted Canadian and when I was uh uh 9 years old uh, we were li- living in the uh San Francisco Bay Area and the new NHL hockey team uh, the the Oakland uh, Seals started playing uh at the nearby Oakland Coliseum. So uh, my dad would take my brothers and I for, for nine seasons. We would go to games, and uh, there were a lot, of, a lot of downs, a few ups, and uh, uh, you know it was, it was a really memorable. It made me, taught me to love hockey, and uh, I always thought their, their bizarre story needed to be told. It was kind of like it was a franchise where everything that could go wrong did go wrong.
2: Well, it's interesting that in such a short period of time, all of the things that you just ran down um, could happen in, in one place at that time. Um, so it, it's really probably more or as well telling a lot of a personal story from you, it sounds like, as spending a lot of your childhood over at over in Oakland at the rink. Is, it was that a lot of the a lot of the impedances that is part of your personal story as well that you wanted to tell.
4: Well, I, you know, I, I, uh, I used to take my Super 8 movie camera to games and would shoot footage. But uh, my, my wow. profession, I, I later became a, a TV news producer. And since 2000, I've lived in Los Angeles working on television documentaries. I, I was a producer on the E. True Hollywood Story, did 25 of those. I've, I've done shows like uh, Lindsay Lohan, The Road to Jail. So, uh, <laughs> but I, wanted, you know, I wanted, I wanna I wanted be a little bit more. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, my ghost story a lot, a lot of different shows but uh, the seal story I just I just thought was really really fascinating and uh, uh, you know there were so many things that you know they were all always on the verge of great things happening and you know they be, they became the the laughing stock of the NHL but but yet they would score some incredible upsets and and what I did is you know I did this kind of on a um on a shoestring budget I did a crowdfunding campaign but uh, I basically took uh, a video camera, uh, some sound gear and lights, and I traveled across North America and I tracked down more than 30 former players, uh, uh, team officials, journalists, fans. I even got Wayne Gretzky to, to sit down. And uh, Wayne was uh, actually very knowledgeable about the Seals history and he had known the families of two Seals players when he was growing up. So that was that was quite a coup. So I, I really enjoyed talking with him. Absolutely. So, yeah, but it was yeah you know the, I mean people don't remember because when the NHL expanded from uh, six to twelve teams, what happened was uh, the, the reason there were two teams in California, there were the Seals and the Kings, is uh, the NHL had signed a contract with CBS, and and part of that deal was uh, CBS wanted two teams of the biggest TV markets in uh, California, and so therefore the Kings and uh, and the seals, uh, but you know they started making mistakes right from the very beginning. The the, uh, the Western Hockey League seals that preceded the NHL seals played in San Francisco at the Cow Palace, and it actually did quite well. Uh, but they wanted the seals to play in the brand new Oakland Coliseum Arena, which was built across the bay in Oakland. And uh, in the Bay Area, there's a bit of a psychological thing, especially at that time, is people didn't like to cross the bridges to go from San Francisco uh... to the bay area and vice versa so all these fans that they expected to drive over the bridges to see the seals didn't materialize so then you had to educate people on the east bay about hockey so it was a bit of an uphill struggle uh... plus they had their first coach and gm was bert olmstead who was you know a you know hall of fame caliber hockey player who uh... was a great player but not a great coach he alienated uh, all the guys and uh... uh... you know some new management came in with the SEALs, and that included Frank Selke uh, of, the, of the Selke family and none other than Bill Torrey. Uh, and they started to turn the SEALs around. The first two seasons, they uh, the second season, the two and three, they actually made the playoffs. And then what happened is a guy named Charlie O'Finley, who was the flamboyant owner of the owner game, of the eight. Yeah, game. yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. He, he knew a lot about baseball. He knew a lot, a lot about being uh, thrifty. And uh, for some reason, he wanted to buy the—he uh, wanted to buy a hockey team, even though he would brag to people that uh, he'd only seen one hockey game in his life. And we have actually the footage uh, of the of the first press conference where he tells the press, "I don't know the first thing about hockey." Uh, and, and and by by the midway through that first season, they had new uh, uniforms that were uh, the uh, the Kelly green and gold uniforms that were like the A's uniforms. Uh, and he had forced out to Frank Selke and Bill Torrey. Bill Torrey, of course, goes to the New York Islanders uh, and wins uh, for the five Stanley Cups and builds a dynasty. And so uh, <laughs> that, uh, that was the middle uh, the uh the, middle era the, luck. Of the SEAL. Yeah.
2: And that's got to be near and dear hey, Ma- to uh, Chris's heart, living on Long Island and being a longtime Islanders fan. I'm sure he's familiar with that little part of the story. Let me bring Chris in. I know he wants to talk a little bit with you as well.
4: Great. Hey,
0: Mark. Uh, great to have you on the show. So I was just wondering, and you you brought up Wayne Gretzky, and from afar, you know, obviously, you look at hockey today in, in, in California. I mean, three professional sports teams. Uh, it seems like it's thriving. And clearly, no one has had, in my opinion, a bigger effect on that, than Wayne Gretzky. I mean, the Kings were a struggling franchise when he got traded over from Edmonton, uh, and the impact that he had on the Kings and California in general. But I- I'm wondering, while he had that effect, how much did the California's field, you know, help plant the seeds that uh, that were kind of already in the ground, if you will, and Gretzky and that, uh, you know, help those seeds grow to fruition. How much, how much, you know, does the seeds uh, see, the seals should take credit for what's the
4: cal- how thriving hockey is in California today. Well, that especially up in the Bay Area. Good. Right. Yeah, he had a big impact. I mean, when I was a kid, uh, I believe at that time, like in the late '60s, I believe there was maybe two hockey rinks in the entire San Francisco Bay Area. And as the seals started playing, they they built more. Uh, and, uh, you know, there were quite a few more. And then now with the Sharks, there's, a, like, a lot more rinks. So when you got, you got right. kids playing hockey, that, that's a, a huge thing. And, and the Sharks, uh, you know, I, I did a news story about the start-up of the Sharks, and they were kind of uh, – they learned from the, the lesson of the Seals. And, uh, you know, it's funny just, just how hockey has changed from the 60s and 70s. Uh, you know, the Seals front office, I think at that time, under Finley, they had maybe like ten people in the office, tops. You know. And now, <laughs> I mean, I, we uh, the Sharks actually did a Seals tribute night last January, and we were walking through the seal the Sharks offices, and it's just amazing how many people work there. I think they have more people working just on their web uh, their web page now than, than the than the Seals did in the for the entire franchise. So, and then and then of yeah, course it's... the Gresky thing, Gresky thing was huge. Uh, I remember um in the uh late eighties when uh he had joined the Kings they did a uh a um, exhibition game in at the Oakland Coliseum. That was the first hockey game I believe at the uh, the Coliseum since the Seals had left and it was a sellout, you know, and, and you know and I actually used the part of the interview that I did with him at that time where he talks about how he hopes that they bring hockey back to Northern California. So uh you know that because of Greske you have a hockey team uh in Anaheim, which you know was partly partly because of the uh, Disney owning the Ducks at that time, and Michael Eisner, the head of Disney, his kids playing hockey, and, and the uh, the Mighty Ducks movies, but uh, you know that also translated with uh, with the Sharks uh, getting a franchise, and, and all all three are doing quite well. Yeah.
2: Well, I think one thing that the Vegas Golden Knights have uh, done done very well, and and it, maybe it's a lesson learned from 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 that exact situation. Is that almost from day one, and certainly more so now, they've built a couple rinks in town. They absorbed the Las Vegas Storm, which was our junior team, and made them the junior Knights. They've even, even as far as dragging Marc Andre Fleury into the community the day after he was selected in the expansion draft and trotting him around to four different schools where he was hosting uh, hockey camps for the kids in the gymnasium, then a hundred. 15-degree weather in the middle of June. Um, right. And, and you know, you could have, uh, you know, excused Andre Fleury to want to do his little wave on the stage and then get out of town, get back to his family, uh, just won a Stanley Cup the week before. Um, and and certainly it would have been excusable for him to check out for a little bit. Um, him and all the other guys have been doing public, public relations, Meet and greet across the city, but especially with the kids, and and getting them in, making sure they got sticks, making sure they got equipment, and to to grow what is the the going to be the fan base here for for years to come. Um, a lesson learned from getting the getting the kids involved early on in the San Jose Sharks. They're one of the more stable franchises in the National Hockey League now, and and it's interesting that you made that point. Uh, as, as far as growth in the Bay Area and what this version of expansion can learn from that. Comment a little bit on the, the Golden Knights, if you could, and some of the other points that they might be able to learn from the, what didn't work very well with the Golden Seals.
4: Well, they, they have to think, uh, you know, the problem with the Seals the first couple of years with the, with their 1st coach, co-general manager, we interviewed Tim Ryan, who was, later became a broadcaster with CBS. He talked about how what a problem was was just getting the coach to talk to the press because you know they he's a guy who's you know has been in Toronto and these other huge hockey cities where hockey players are gods, and he doesn't want to ex- have to explain what hockey is to sports writers who don't know a lot about the game. So you you always got to be thinking about, about public relations, you know, uh, and getting out there and having the players meet people and and you know. The good thing about the Vegas thing is that you're going to have so many people, hockey fans, who are going to combine. Well, let's go this weekend to Vegas, and you know, and and have a great weekend and catch a game. So uh, I think, especially on the weekends, uh, there'll, there's going to be a lot of sellouts. So uh, uh, that that'll I think be that will be great.
2: No, I agree. I was just, I did a guest spot on a on a podcast up in Edmonton, the Oilers YYC podcast this week, and. They were, uh, they got a group of guys, 10, 12 guys together. They got their Edmonton Oilers January 13th tickets and they're going to come down. They're going to do a remote for their show from somewhere around, the, somewhere around town. And, uh, we look forward to meeting meeting those guys when they get here. So to, to your point, that's, uh, at, at first I'm going to welcome having the, them come, uh, and, and take some seats up in the arena, but, uh, sooner or later we're going to have to take our home ice and and create that as a local home ice advantage but first and foremost i'd like the people from canada and and the more traditional cities to come catch a game here and actually see the see the facility get get a flavor for what the rink here is like and and the hockey community that we're building here in las vegas and then go home and tell all their friends they're actually doing it right in vegas you guys uh, this thing has has a shot cuz i'm st- i still get a lot of emails to the show of of, uh, she should name the team the Las Vegas Nordiques because they're going to be in Quebec City in five years and and all all those kinds of comments so um, at first I'm going to welcome it and hopefully they can go back and see see what a wonderful arena that we have here at T-Mobile Arena and spread the word that you know what the the Vegas thing is 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 going and it's going first rate. Um, so word of mouth is going to help a lot in that. Well, sir, tell everybody where you can, where we can uh, go to download or or get a copy of this because it sounds. To, and and just talking with you today, I've learned a lot more about it than than I ever knew about the Golden Seals. And I'm a California-born hockey fan. Um, where can we where can we find that? And how can people get their hands on on the on the show?
4: Well right now it's uh, only available on iTunes so if you uh, go to iTunes and it's called the California Golden Seals story uh and the film is also on Facebook if you go to the uh, California Golden Seals documentary there's uh... uh there's, there's clips if you go to YouTube there's a lot of preview clips the trailer uh the the um, the, the the link on um, on uh, uh, iTunes also has a link to the trailer of the film it's it's a 97 minute documentary and uh, you know, some, we we got some incredible footage. You know, we got found all this old news footage that hadn't been seen in 40 years. We have old press conferences, game footage. Uh, we interviewed. I don't know if you know a guy by the name of Crazy George. He was a professional cheerleader. He's I think in his 70s now, but he was famous for going all around North America and and uh, banging his drum at games. He actually. Okay. Uh, he started with with the seals doing at, at their games. We have rare footage. We have the uh, the memorable night. A woman, uh, the seals, to get publicity. They hired the the girlfriend of the stick boy to skate nude across the ice so uh, they get the media <laughs> coverage. We actually we have we have actually Super 8 film of that uh, and a photo. Uh, so just there's just some wild stories, you know, just a a whole different era. You know, the seals were the first team well, back in an era when when the sports teams flew in coach uh, Charlie Finley actually. Uh, um, uh, flew them first class, so they had a lot of adventures, like uh, getting drunk in the upstairs lounge of a 747. Uh, you know, there's just uh, there's a story about how uh, they're coming back from Boston. They bought all these lobsters and let the lobsters loose on the airplane. Um, <laughs> there's You know, there's the whole history of the World Hockey Association. When that started and the Seals, uh, when they were on this on the verge of becoming a playoff team, they lost more players to the WHA than any other hockey team. And then there's uh, when the seals, uh, right again, when they were on the verge of, of becoming a a, gr- a very good hockey team, they wind up moving to Cleveland uh, because of a, a failed arena uh, that they wanted to build. So it's an, it's a, just a, a, a really really incredible story and and uh, uh, you know a look at a a, a a odd period of time in the NHL.
2: Well, well, sir, we appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us this morning. We're going to have to jump into a break here, but thank you thank you again for for coming on and sharing this piece of national hockey league history it's been uh it's been a real pleasure talking with you sir
4: thank you so much thank you so much for having me on and and, and good luck with the, with your new team
2: all right i appreciate it Th- ladies and gentlemen mark richmill the creative force behind the golden seals the california golden seals story is what it's called and you can find find that as he as said on iTunes and go on Facebook, check it out. I'm going to go on iTunes and I'm going to pull the link up and, and I'll tweet that out on our at Vegas hockey pod Twitter feed. And I'll, I'll put something up to it at Vegas hockey podcast.com as well. Uh, that's pretty crazy. All this stuff that that could happen in such a short period of time, Chris.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I, it should be a very intriguing story. I think people will find it uh pretty fascinating. So, uh, uh, documentaries are great. I'm a big, big, big fan of them. Uh, uh, they, they they really suck me in as long, and it does. The topic could be almost anything from sports to, to something serious or political or whatnot. So, uh, you know. So we're gonna wrap up the show now. Um, uh, first and foremost, uh, let me just say that again. You can find our show at Sportsology.com. Go to the uh, the radio tab, and uh, uh, you, I think you go under the given month, or you could just search Biggest Hockey Podcast. Uh, so that's Russ Cohen site, who was on and gave us a good 45 minutes today. It's always great having Russ. He's uh, very in-depth uh, 100%. knowledge. Uh, yeah, he's great. He's, he's tremendous. Uh, and also Grandstand Sports. So uh, you could find that. Uh, you can find Grandstand Sports at the GrandstandSportsNetwork.com. Again, uh, you know, just click under Shows. You can find the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Next week, uh, we're doing the Pacific Division, so we're going to do a couple different things. One, we'll have Dana Lane on, and, of course, we're going to basically get a quick update on UNLV with him, as always, but then get his pre- his thoughts in, in terms of preview of uh, the Vegas Golden Night season, uh, upcoming season. And then me and Mark are going to do our own segment, going back and forth, our thoughts on the upcoming Golden Knights season, what to expect, and then we're going to have good old JD Styles from Cali Sports News to preview the Pacific as a whole. So should be a fun show. And uh, you know, with that, we'll uh, we'll end the show with the Metro predictions. Uh, Your, I'll go first. Uh, and Sounds good. Include the. We're well, going to include the wild cards because uh, we did the Atlantic last week. But I'll start with the Metro. Uh, third place, I have Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh is one of the top teams in the East, no doubt. Uh, they took a big hit in depth, uh, especially, you know, they don't have two number one goalies anymore. Uh, Anthony Emmi probably will be okay uh, as a backup. Uh, you know, in addition to the depth hit that they took uh, in terms of, uh, you know, running the gauntlet two straight years of winning the Stanley Cup and has to take its toll, don't get me wrong. They're the kind of team, like, I, it, to me, it's not going to matter what seed they are come the playoffs. So right. uh, when I say that, you know, some people are like, oh, my God, he, how dare you, pick Pittsburgh third. Uh, and not that they're going to settle down, off, but I just, <laughs> yeah, I think just, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they'll be fine. I think if... You know, again, the difference between finishing second and third could be two or three points, maybe one point. So I think they could find themselves with 102, 103 points uh, because of that. And, again, uh, they're going to be a team to reckon with, and I'm sure um, they'll load up uh, at the trade deadlines, try to get some couple key veterans that they lost. Uh, Second place, this is going to be a bull pick of mine, and I don't have my orange glasses on. I like uh, the Islanders. Uh, I think I think go. they're a deep team. I think they're a hungry team. It uh, reminds me of a couple years ago or three years ago. They had a good season and then missed the playoffs. And ironically, that year they missed the playoffs because of a bad start. Uh, they got a lot of talent on this team, both young and in their prime, and some good veterans. They had a lot of players with a lot at stake this year as well. So, situation aside, I'm not worried about him. Uh, a lot of guys are going to be free agents that can really score really good contracts. Someone like Brock Nelson, who's been a good player, at times better than that, but at other times too inconsistent, together a real solid season. Uh, he could score a huge contract. So he should have had uh, the off season of his life. and a re- I think there's going to be a, a real strong focus, and I'm really a big fan of Doug Wade. And again, you know, the difference between just missing the playoffs from them last year and, you know, finishing in the top three was basically one one win a month. I mean, it's that, it's that slight in terms of the difference in the team's one loss record. Um, and then first, I, I like Columbus. Uh, I, I think uh, they're, they're going to be very hungry themselves. Uh, believe it or not, uh, they've been around, what, 17 years and they've never won a playoff series. Uh, that's going to be their big mantra. They're not going to sneak up on anybody this year, but uh, I think they're deep in terms of their full lines as well as their defense. Uh, good backup goalie. Obviously, they have the Vesna winner, uh, Babrowski. You know, again, he he showed last year uh, when he stays healthy and is consistent how much of a force he can be. And then my wild cards. I think the the Metro is going to carry five teams. Uh, the wild my wild cards are going to be Washington, and I'll go with another surprise here, Carolina. Um, so those are that's my prediction for the Metro and
2: and the wild cards. Well, you kind of took my uh, old prediction too. I have I have Carolina as as a wild card team as well. I'm gonna put uh, oh tough division. Um, you, you could go. In any any real order, and like you said, it could come down to just being separated by uh, a couple points at the end and, and whatever. It's not a slide on anybody's teams. It's just um, it, we got about 90 seconds to go here. Uh, I don't think anybody really jumps up from their point totals last year, and I think Pitt had 111 and Columbus 108, and Washington had 122 so do I think right. that Washington is going to come off of that 10 points at least um, I, I don't know I don't know if they are um, um, I'm gonna go Washington one in the division I'm gonna say they stick they okay. stick with it I love Holpe. Um I think that a lot of them will have a chip on their so, so, so shoulders this year to prove that they haven't lost too much. I'm gonna go Penguins second. I'm gonna stick. Uh, you know what? Same order as last year, and I'll I'll go with uh, my second wild card. I'm gonna go Islanders and Carolina is my is my wild card selections. So and who's your who's, do finishing for third? who's finishing third? Who's third finishing Columbus. I got. Columbus. Okay, so you have
0: the Rangers out.
2: Rangers out. Okay. Uh, sorry, sorry, Rangers fans. We got about ten seconds. Tune in next week, uh, eleven o'clock Pacific mark, and we're gone.